This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Zika, dengue, chikungunya, they're all names we've been hearing a lot about of late. These are diseases that are spread by the mosquito, much like malaria, and they're wreaking havoc in many parts of the world, now including the United States. Here to bring us up to date on her role in the fight against these mosquito-borne diseases and some possible breakthroughs is Dr. Anna Stewart Ibarra. She's from the Center for Global Health and Translational Science at Upstate Medical University. Welcome. Thanks so, so much for coming in, Dr. Ibarra. Thank you, Linda. Good morning. So the last time you were with us, Anna, you you were telling us about, you brought us up to date on the work you've been doing in Ecuador, Mm -hmm. specifically with the dengue. Mm -hmm. So let's kind of do a little review. Help us first understand what is dengue, Mm -hmm. dengue fever. Dengue fever is a disease caused by four related viruses of dengue fever virus. And these viruses are passed to people by primarily the Aedes aegypti mosquito, secondarily also by the Aedes albopictus mosquito. Um, And so when the mosquito is infected with the virus, if it bites someone, it then passes the virus to that person. The virus replicates inside the person. A few days later, they'll show a range of febrile symptoms, so fever, joint pain, aches. um, And in worst cases, uh, you could even have some hemorrhage or shock. And then after a period of, let's say, 10 days or so, the virus then passes through your system and you recover generally. So basically, what is the, the, you know, you're describing what I consider the morbidity, the kinds of symptoms, mm-hmm. the kinds of things that take place with dengue. But is there a high mortality rate with, deng- with dengue? So the mortality rate with dengue really depends on access to medical care and doctors are well-trained. So in parts of the world, we have good access to medical care. Doctors who are familiar with how to manage dengue cases, the mortality rates are quite low. Um, in places where it's a new disease, where it's emerging, maybe the physicians are not as familiar with the disease, you have a higher risk of, of mortality. But what's the treatment for something like dengue? Mm-hmm. Isn't it pretty much just a symptomatic? They just treat yeah. the symptoms? So there's no specific, there's no vaccine, there's no medicine you can take to make it go away. But if you have physicians who are well-trained, they can manage the patient by providing appropriate fluids, rehydration, monitoring the vital signs of the patient to avoid going into shock, pretty much. Isn't there some danger, though, if you get bitten by um, a mosquito that's carrying different varieties of Mm. the dengue Mm -hmm. that each time if you were to get, in other words, the first time you're bitten, then you're immune to that type. But if you get bitten a second time with a Mm -hmm. new type, since there are several viruses involved here, The, the symptoms become worse and yeah. the so potential for death is greater? So generally during your first infection, um, well, oftentimes you may be totally asymptomatic. So you may have no symptoms. You wouldn't even know you had the disease. But some people show sort of these mild kind of aches and joints and pains and fever. Like flu. Yeah, flu-like symptoms, exactly. When you're ex- exposed then to that a second strain of the virus, because we have all four strains that are circulating in the same regions in areas in the tropics especially where the disease is common, During that second infection, you're much more likely to have a severe infection, um, which could lead to hospitalization. Actually, I wanted to follow up on another point of yours. We used to think that when you're exposed to one of these strains of the virus, you would then have lifelong immunity. But evidence now is coming out to show that that's not the case. Oh, okay. So that really changes our our understanding of dengue. And these are brand new studies that are starting to show that you know, actually the immunity may decline over time. That's very interesting. So you mentioned, I was going to ask you, where is it most prevalent? And you said tropics. So mm-hmm. give us a feeling for, is it mostly the Southern Hemisphere? Sure. So dengue is actually one of the most 
widely distributed mosquito-borne uh, viral disease in the world. So pretty much from the subtropics through the tropics. So, you know, in the U.S., that includes the southern part of the U.S., but in Latin America and the Caribbean, practically almost every country, you know, I think some more than 44 countries and territories have reported dengue. And, and now, it's the same throughout Asia and countries in Africa. And So now it's actually in the United States. It's been noted in mm-hmm. Florida, places like Texas as well. Yeah, correct. So dengue was historically in the U.S. Actually, there were outbreaks of dengue reported in Philadelphia in the 1700s oh, really? with mosquito control technologies, really effective campaigns to eradicate malaria and yellow fever in the U.S. We also got rid of dengue, but it has since come back in into the southern part of the U.S., including in Florida and since 2009. Same, that same mosquito, the Aedes aegypti, and you said another mm-hmm. type as well, the, that mosquito is also responsible for uh, disseminating Zika. Correct, yeah. So the Aedes aegypti mosquito and the Aedes albopictus, these are two species in the same, basically, group Family. of mosquitoes, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're both, they both transmit dengue fever. They also transmit Zika. They also transmit chikungunya, which was a major epidemic last year, also Japanese encephalitis and, and dengue, uh, sorry, and... Uh, yellow fever as well for for the Aedes aegypti mosquito. So this mosquito is is, is a it's really a nasty <laughs> a mosquito. <real> villain. <laughs> it's very good at transmitting viruses. Very interesting. So obviously, um, you have been doing some very crucial research, hmm. and um, your role currently. Tell me about that. You're working mm-hmm. in Ecuador right now. What are you doing exactly there? Mm-hmm. So for the last 10 years, uh, we've been doing research in Ecuador in partnership with the local government to start to understand the distribution of the disease, the true burden of disease, and understanding social risk factors and climate risk factors so that we can get a better handle on how, how to manage, how to intervene to prevent, predict and prevent epidemics. So since the end of 2012, with Upstate, we uh, began developing a dengue surveillance study, which means that we're working with the Ministry of Health to improve diagnostics, to be able to detect cases earlier, and to go out in the community and do active searching for more cases to understand the true burden of disease in the population, and then to also look for other risk factors, as you mentioned, like conditions of the home, nutritional risk factors, um, presence of the mosquito in the household. And this study has now been expanded, of course, to include chikungunya and Zika. So what exactly are you finding? I mean, it seems to me that um, without a vaccine, and I know they're Mm fast-tracking dengue and Zika vaccines, obviously mosquito control is the name of the game. Mm -hmm. But in those tropical countries, or that tropical type of environment, I would think it would be near to impossible to really eradicate Hmm. the mosquito. And so I guess, I mean, are things like screens, I mean, you're talking about the different factors that Mm -hmm. you're analyzing. Mm -hmm. So what has come out of what you found, I guess, Mm -hmm. in terms of the kinds of interventions Yeah, so from some of the prior studies we did, housing conditions were definitely an important risk factor. So anything you can do to reduce contact with the infectious mosquito, air conditioning, screens on your windows and doors. Um, You know, we have other partners in countries working with actually mosquito impregnated curtains to use on windows. Uh, since the mosquito bites during the day, a mosquito net is not as useful for dengue prevention, so right? it's not just sleeping under a net. Right, which is typically what we use for malaria. A, mos- a mosquito net is useful if you have a kid in the house, for example, who's home during the day who's sick with dengue, right? So you, uh, the kid would sleep under the mosquito net. Or an net. infant, perhaps, sure. who naps. Definitely. Yeah. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm Linda Cohen with Dr. Anna Stewart Ibarra, global health researcher, and we're talking about dengue fever and other mosquito-borne diseases. So, yes, continue what you were saying about 
this whole idea of trying to find out more information and in finding it out, making recommendations through the Ministry of Health, and in this case, Ecuador. Where did, how did Ecuador become a focus mm -hmm. for your work? Mm -hmm. So I actually, I'm Ecuadorian and U.S. citizen, so I have the, the pleasure of having family in both countries, oh, which wow. is part of my personal passion to, yes. to help the people. Uh, but beyond that, some of my early mentors were also from Ecuador. And so about 10 years ago, we started developing these projects and we saw that there was just so much support and openness from our government partners and from my colleagues in Ecuador to develop this research, which is the main reason we keep working there because of our close partnerships and just the support. And I think they really have shown us over the years that this is such an important issue for people living in, in dengue and Zika endemic areas. And they've that's so, created this really strong partnership over the years. And there's such a ramification because, mm -hmm. I mean, what you find in that environment mm -hmm. obviously has a great application throughout sure. the world. Exactly, yeah. So, so over the last 10 years, I think more and more of the public eye, people have begun to realize, you know, the importance of studying these diseases. And they've really emerged as probably one of the greatest, let's say, public health challenges today. And Especially, it wasn't the case 10 years ago, I would say. And so we've, we've been able to you, you, ride that wave also of, expanding our research footprint. Absolutely. And, and the thing that strikes me right now is that with Zika mm -hmm. being in the news so much because of the birth defects associated mm -hmm. with that early, mm -hmm. you know, the first trimester or actually throughout pregnancy mm -hmm. and the potential developmental problems that could also be consequences mm -hmm. of having Zika, it's even more, I think, in the yeah. public eye right now of, mm -hmm. of trying to figure out ways to control or mm -hmm. fight this Definitely. This problem. So tell me, it seems to me, you make these recommendations, obviously, you know, hopefully you'll be making more. Well, have you found, I guess the first question would be, have you found reduction in the incidence or prevalence of infections from any of these diseases by virtue of any interventions that you've recommended? Uh, I would say to date, we're in the process of really pr gathering the data to provide the evidence to the Ministry of Health to then be able to collaboratively design interventions. So okay, we're at the so point you're still of still collecting data. Yeah, and we're also developing early warning systems and predictions. And so we now need to go back to our partners and say, is this useful for you? Mm -hmm. You know, what can you do with this kind of information? So right now we're in the process of really documenting the true burden of disease for the first time. Well, that's going to be The next step would be, as you mentioned, to develop these intervention studies. So, so right now you're doing both Zika and dengue. Yeah, correct. We were fortunate to get support from the National Science Foundation through the NSF Zika Rapid Grant. And so last year, I'm actually really impressed with NSF that they were one of the few, I think, federal agencies to move quickly. And so by last May, we already had been awarded a grant to begin doing Zika studies in Ecuador, which we're building on our ongoing dengue studies. So that helped us to ramp up quickly. And would one have rep uh, basically has... Um a good foundation for the other. In other words, if you've yeah. certain findings, certain things that you've determined with dengue would also then be true for Zika. Some of the health, uh, sorry, the risk factors would certainly be true because the vector is the same. Right. Uh, but the, 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 the advantages, our study designs are similar and because we're working in areas where both diseases are transmitted, we're now going back and we're able to test all of our samples for dengue, Zika, and chikungunya since the, since basically the beginning of 2014 going forward. And so we've been able to build on this research platform as, as we like to think of it. Wow. Well, one of the things that was fascinating to me when you came the last time was to talk to us a little bit about 
what I thought was a brilliant kind of low-tech approach to mm. mosquito control. Mm -hmm. Give us that background. What was that? Yeah, so this is a project that began with a, through a collaboration with Dr. David Larson at Syracuse University and Dr. Marco Nera, who's an invest, a professor and investigator at the Catholic University in Quito. And together we've designed this a mosquito control device um, based on the idea that mosquitoes, all mosquitoes feed on sugar. Actually, especially the male mosquitoes feed on sugar. And so if you can get the mosquitoes to come and feed on a surface that has sugar, you know, then you could lace the sugar with a toxin and that would kill the mosquito. So this has been shown... Sounds amazingly simple <laughs> and brilliant and very low-tech. Yeah, very low-tech. So this is there's sort of a whole field of research called attractive toxic sugar baits. And this has been shown by researchers in, in Florida, and they've sprayed sugar on large areas of vegetation, which isn't exactly practical for the Aedes aegypti mosquito since this is an indoor sort of... It like lives in the house, right? Oh, so, I didn't know that. So they do really, they, they live in the house. Oh, yeah, definitely. When we do collections in the field, we find 90% of the mosquitoes we collect inside the house, not outside. Very So they live inside the house, they feed on humans, and they breed in standing water in and around the home. So they're really perfectly adapted to the human urban environment. Wow. Which makes them formidable to be able to, Very formidable. to eradicate. Yeah. So our so device, what, yeah, yeah, so we've um, basically create like a, a surface where we can put this mixture of sugar and toxin and create a small uh, low-cost device that would be in the household, attract the mosquitoes to come and feed on it. The color and shape and pattern also use visual cues that attract the Aedes aegypti mosquito. And we've been testing this year different chemical attractants that simulate CO2. So when mammals or people breathe out, we breathe you know, CO2, which That's is what an attractant. it attracts the mosquitoes. So now we're testing other chemicals that stimulate that same response in the mosquito to lure them to be able to feed on this device and then and then die. So at what point are you in the studies? So we built what we call these semi, uh, these experimental huts, so s simulated houses in, in Ecuador, Machala, and we've spent the last year testing the devices inside these semi-experimental huts, and we're continuing those studies right now. So no conclusions at this point? The conclusions from the lab studies are very promising. They show that they're incredibly effective. Right now, we're still working on fine-tuning the semi-field trial so that then we can move to a community intervention. And the truth be told, it's got to be somewhat low-cost because it's yeah. fairly low-tech. Definitely. And if it has high efficacy, it could really do a, go a long way because I think what we've been le left with, and, and I know in this country right now with Zika, is mm -hmm. eradicating standing water but basically spraying large mm -hmm. communities. And there's some concern as to whether there's toxicity intrinsic in the spraying to yeah. humans. Yeah, it's definitely a concern all across the world where people are spraying. This would be a device that we estimate that would cost less than a dollar and could be used in a broad range of settings, in the household, in the deployed warfighter setting, or anywhere. You have to come back and tell us what the findings are at some point. <laughs> Thank you so much. My guest has been Dr. Anna Stewart-Ibarra from the Center for Global Health and Translational Science at Upstate Medical University with so much information and great information. I'm so glad you're out there fighting for us <laughs> against this, this Aedes aegypti. I'm Linda Cohen and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air.